Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So I watched the Super Bowl. Um, our youth had a Super Bowl party uh, here at the church, and I was excited that they allowed me to come to the Super Bowl party, and so um, I was here um, not necessarily to watch the game, uh, because I'm a Jaguars fan, and we all know there's not a lot of hope for us, and so we uh, watch the Super Bowl with a little bit of despair each year, uh, but that's okay. Uh, we know that um, good things come to those who wait, right? So just imagine the good things that are coming to the Jaguars, uh, but I uh, wasn't, didn't really care about the two teams. I was, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Missouri, grew up loving the St. Louis Cardinals, Still love the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, but uh, when I was, I think it was middle school-ish, I, I forget exactly, we're somewhere in there, the football Cardinals left St. Louis, and uh, I was so confused, and then we, we got the, the Rams, after, our, after college, the Rams come to St. Louis, so excited, we have another football team, and then the Rams left us, and so twice, uh, we've had these football teams abandon us in Missouri, and so I'm a little jaded uh, with the Rams, so I wasn't really caring about the Rams, I was hoping that Joe Burrow was going to be able to pull out some magic, but I didn't care who won, it, that didn't matter to me, I was here to have a great time with the youth and to see all of them, and they were having a great time. And i tell you the truth, the majority of them were like me. They could care less about a football game, but the game was on, and they were having food, and some of them were even in the back uh, playing Operation, you know, the old game with the little tweezers and trying to pull out bones of different things. So anyway, they were having a great time. But as I'm watching this game, <clears throat> we actually watched it on this screen up here. So as I'm watching this game, I'm sitting in the back watching this game, uh, the commentators uh, are giving us their opinions of what's going on. And they would tell us about you know, what's happening with Matt Stafford. And they talked about Joe Burrow and what's going on with, with him. And uh, they were telling us all of this stuff was going on. And then whenever there were plays that were missed, they would show those plays that were missed and they would tell you what happened with that specific play. And then there would be a great play and they would just play it over and over and over. And so they're, they're giving us all of this commentary. But as I'm watching this actually take place, place, it hit me. You know, this is a lot like the church. A football game is a whole lot like a church. And you're thinking, okay, he's, he's gone off the deep end now. But I, I just want to show you two short plays. And so I picked a good play and a bad play for each team. And so this first one here, um, if you'll notice it, uh, Stafford goes back. He's going to throw the ball down. Oh, he, okay, it's intercepted. And so he lost the ball here. So after this play, here's my question to you. Uh, did the Rams give up? No, they didn't give up, did they? Did the Rams quit after this? No, they didn't, because watch this. So here's, here's the same player now. Watch the bottom. He catches it. Isn't that amazing? He didn't give up on that player. Did, did you catch what happened there? Now, watch this. Same for Joe Burrow. Um, so he throws, and that was in his hands. If you are a receiver and a ball hits you in the hands in the NFL, what are you supposed to do? You have to catch it, right? 
There's no ifs, ands, or buts when you're playing at that level. The ball's in your hand, you've got to hang on to it. But did Joe Burrow give up on that guy? No. Let me, let me show you here what he does next. This is later in the game. Hits the guy. And so there's lots of plays in the Super Bowl where the quarterbacks are trying to hit their guy, and the guy does something that just causes them to miss the ball. They don't get the ball. But the quarterback, follow along, because this is how, we're, how the football is like the church. The quarterback did not give up on that player because they realized that they were in a game. And the object of the game is to win. And so the quarterback went back to that player a number of times. And they, the, the analysts and the commentators would tell you all of this stuff that was taking place in the game. They would show you the good, they would show you the bad, and then they would analyze it, and they would tell you exactly what was going on. You know why commentators aren't coaches? Because they've got too much knowledge, and it's sometimes not practical in the football game. But they're telling us everything that needed to take place in the game. And they're telling us all of this stuff. And the one thing that they told, there's all of these highlights. I watched so many highlights. There's all of these highlights that tell you on this play, this actually went wrong. On this play, this actually went wrong. On this play, this actually went right. But the thing the commentators never tell you is that the guys on the field didn't give up. They kept going back. The quarterback kept trying again. When Stafford was sacked, when Burrow was sacked, they didn't walk off the field and say, you guys can't block me. I'm giving up. I'm going to go sit on the sidelines so I don't get tackled again. They got back in the game. They kept on playing. And they gave their hearts to what was happening all around them. And I believe that that's exactly what's happening in Acts chapter 2. So if you think about what's happened before we get to Acts chapter 2, God came in the flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh to be like us so he could have a relationship with us. They crucified Jesus. He comes back to life to defeat death and the consequence of sin. And then he spends some time with his disciples. And he tells his disciples, I'm going away. But this is what I want you to do. Even though it might look like we've been defeated right now, and there's just a few of us, I want you to go to Jerusalem because a feast is going to be happening in Jerusalem. And I want you to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, what's going to happen to you is going to be unheard of. Then we get to Acts chapter 2, they're praying, they're waiting. At the beginning of Acts chapter 2, this amazing thing happens. Jesus' words are actually fulfilled. The Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit enables them to speak the gospel in the language of all of these other people who are gathered around them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the scripture says it's set on them like cloven tongues of fire, and they spoke these languages for people to hear the gospel and the good news. And then, here's the amazing thing, Peter began to address the crowd. The people are hearing the gospel in their own language. They're understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. A multitude of people give their life to Jesus Christ. And at this point, the church has been born. Up until this point, this New Testament church had not been established. 
The believers were still treating this relationship with Jesus like they did in the old Jewish synagogue. They didn't know how to act, but Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to let you know how to do things. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, and I want you to follow along as we read starting at verse 42. This is the beginning of the church. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has left. The Holy Spirit comes. Thousands of people get saved when Peter addresses the crowd, and people are hearing the good news, what Jesus has done for them, what God has done in the flesh to make this relationship right, and then they begin the early church. And this is the first church. Listen, the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see what Jesus has asked his disciples to do? And listen, if there is somebody that says, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life, and it happens, you probably better listen to that person. And Jesus said, this, disciples, is what you need to do. He laid it out for them. They did that. They waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They did not know what the Holy Spirit was. They did not know what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came into their lives. But they didn't let that deter them from following the words of Jesus. They said, we're going to go. We're going to spend some time in prayer together. We're going to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what it was like being in those disciples' lives in that upper room with them while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine if they heard a noise? I was going to say if a car drove by and they heard, but that's no cars back then, right? (laughs) If a camel drives by and makes a noise, camels don't drive. If you ever see a camel driving, run, because it is a bad thing that is taking place around you. If a camel walks by and they hear the noise of this camel, could you imagine them thinking, was that it? Is, Is that noise what we're waiting for? Could you imagine the anticipation of these disciples, those who had been with Jesus, waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit? But yet when it comes, they knew that it had come. They knew that the fulfillment of what Jesus had said had arrived. Because from that moment forward, as the church was established, the scriptures tell us that they were in awe. I want to ask you, White Chapel, where is are all. Where is the amazement at what God has done in our lives and through the life of the church over the past 2,000 or so years? Where are the signs and wonders that it tells us it took place in the early church? And the Lord added to their number daily, the scriptures tell us. Where is it at? Where is it at? You see, Jesus has given us a formula And Jesus has told us exactly what we need to do. And here in the early church, we see them doing what Jesus had said. So I don't know if any of you um, love these new games that are out there. There's one that our family plays every day. 
It's called Wordle, W-O-R-D-L-E. You got green letters, yellow letters, and then the bad letters. And you have to type in it. There's five letters. You type that in, and then you have to try to guess this actual word. You get six guesses in that. So we play that one, and then someone shared with me another one. It's called Nerdle, N-E-R-D-L-E. That one's a little bit more my speed um, because it's math. And in this math equation that you have to try to figure out, you get, there's one that has, I think it's six, is it six? I think it's six um, in there, or maybe it's seven, where you're trying to guess all of these numbers, and then there's another one that has like eight or ten, I forget what it is, and so you're trying to guess this equation. You don't know anything about it. You just have to try to guess the equation, and you get six chances, or I think in Nerdle it's ten chances, I forget what it is, but you're trying to guess the equation from nothing. But here's, here's what I want to tell you about those two. In Wordle and in Nerdle, you're playing these games, and when you make a guess... The game actually tells you that is not a word, or it says, if you're playing Nerdle, that equation doesn't calculate. I wish, I wish, I wish that each of us could hear the Holy Spirit when we're trying to play the equation that Jesus has given to us. I wish that we could hear the power of the Holy Spirit seeing that equation that Jesus gave doesn't calculate to what you're trying to apply in your life right now. Because Jesus gave an equation for the church. Jesus said, this is what I would like you to do. And here at the beginning in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and catch this, and to fellowship. And to fellowship. Do you know what the world wants today? They want this equation that Jesus said and that they actually lived out in the early church. That's fellowship. They're hungry for fellowship. Two other translations say this. The the, uh, NASB says they were continually devoting themselves. The ASV, the American Standard Version says, and they continued steadfastly. They wanted this fellowship. They were hungry for fellowship. And all throughout time, people have been hungry for fellowship. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to get the true fellowship that can fill the hole inside of you. Because Jesus knew we not only needed him as our Savior, but we needed each other as his children in fellowship together. And whenever they got this fellowship part right in the early church, and whenever they were devoting themselves to the scriptures and studying the scriptures, they were spending time breaking bread together and they were praying together. The fellowship was there and the scriptures say that the people outside of the church, they were in awe. Do you know what's happened to us over the dozens and dozens of centuries? We've allowed the enemy to attack our fellowship. We've surrendered this fellowship to the enemy. Today, not too far from here, there's going to be well over 100,000 people united together in fellowship with one another. It's not about the race cars. That's a part of it. But they'll tell you, if you were to talk to these people, when I was in, in radio, we actually interviewed some people 
about NASCAR. You know what they, you know what they told us about NASCAR? They told us that they're able to spend time together. And I, I, if, if I remember right, like one of them was, was even saying like it was like they were united under cheering for certain teams or certain people. They had some fellowship together. We farmed out fellowship from the church. And Jesus said, the fellowship belongs to my children. This is, so I, I wanted to look up in Acts chapter 2, what is this meaning of the word fellowship? Fellowship refers to close association involving mutual involvement and relationships. This is what the church is supposed to be. United together in fellowship, close association, involving mutual involvement and relationships to each other. This is what God has placed in the DNA of the church, and we have to bring that back and capture it again so that when we spend time together in fellowship, close relationships and involvement with one another, then the world is in awe at what is taking place. And if God has declared that we're to be a refuge of grace, and I believe wholeheartedly he has, I'm staking everything on that because I've heard from the Lord that this is who we're supposed to be, then in a refuge of grace, we have to have fellowship together. I love the beauty of being able to watch our church services online. I love that COVID has forced us to do that. But you know one of the ways the enemy has worked in that? He's begun to divide us so that as he isolates us, we don't get to spend fellowship together. God united us together because he knew that we need each other in close association and involvement and in relationships together. That's what they said about Joe Burrow in the NFL, in the Super Bowl. One of the things that happened to him, they, they, the experts, the commentators say, something happened, and as those linemen started to allow the Rams to break through, what happened was they, the, the, uh, Joe Burrow's team began to get frustrated with each other. And that fellowship then was broken so that they were not trusting each other. You see, in a team, you have to have fellowship and trust together. And so what these NFL teams have done is they've created locker rooms where the guys come and they play video games, they eat together, they do everything they can together. They watch, uh, they have... Um, these huge like movie rooms now in NFL locker rooms. So the guys will watch movies together. They'll watch film of other games together. They want them to spend as much time together or fellowship together. Because whenever they get out to the field, they want those in the stands to have awe and wonder. You know what that sounds like to me? The early church. God has given us an equation that we have to capture again because these people in the early church were continuously devoted to fellowship. It wasn't a once and done type of thing. It wasn't a, well, they had fellowship after the day of Pentecost. No, it was continuously devoted to fellowship. It's kind of like going to the gym. 
It's kind of a you're a tough subject for us, right? When you go to the gym, you don't go to the gym one time and you get it and you're done. You go to the gym and 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 you make it a part of the discipline of your life. And then what happens after you go to the gym, what happens is you start realizing that time after time after time after time again, the weights get easier to pick up, right? So you might start bench pressing. I don't know what the right number is. You can look at my arms. I'm not a bench pressing type of person. But let's say you start bench pressing 50 pounds. Maybe on the first couple of times you're struggling to get that up. But maybe as you continuously go to the gym, it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier to lift. And then before you know it, maybe it's a a couple of months into it, six, eight weeks into it, you're thinking, boy, 50 pounds, that's easier to lift. And so you, okay, put five more on each side, and now you're at 60 pounds, and you struggle with that. And then eventually, you realize that over a period of time, maybe you're doing 100 pounds. You know what happened in this? The weights did not get any lighter. Don't miss this. The weights weigh the exact same amount. What happened is you got stronger. And so while you used to be able to lift 50 pounds, now you're able to lift 100 pounds or or whatever that number is. And you're doing it maybe with the same struggle as you initially did, but there's more weight on there. You know why that happens? The weights didn't change. You are the one that changed. You see, when you continuously devote yourself to fellowship within the body of Christ, here's what happens. The church doesn't change. It's we who change to become more like the head of the church. Jesus gave us the equation, and it was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, studying the word of God, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, and to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And don't miss it. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You have to devote yourself to other believers in Jesus Christ. It's not optional. Because when we are isolated, that's when the enemy destroys us. And you can think, oh, I'm strong. I can handle this, whatever it is that I'm going through. No, you can't. God designed us for each other. And you will either allow the body of Christ to pour into you, or the enemy is going to bring somebody that is a non-believer to pour into you. The choice is up to us, though. Jesus actually gave the equation here. And in Romans, Jesus is reminding us or in Romans, Paul is actually reminding us exactly what God tells us. This is Romans 6, verse 13. I've got the wrong heading up there. In Romans 6, verse 13, this is what Paul says. Give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. For you have been brought back to life. And you want to be tools in the hands of God used for his good purposes. How is it that you fulfill that scripture? By joining together in fellowship with other believers. You cannot be used isolated. It, it doesn't happen that way. Seldom is there one tool that can accomplish a, God, accomplish a job. 
we instead have to give ourselves completely to God because we need to join together in worship with each other. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 3, the psalmist says, Oh, magnify the Lord, watch what he says, with me, and let us exalt his name together. God designed us to be with others. If you remember after creation, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Well, that's not only, not only true in the marriage relationship, but that's true in life itself. We reminded that two are better than one. That's how God designed us, and we have to function the way that God designs us because we can never achieve our life's mission when we're operating solo all by ourselves. We need each other and have to be connected in fellowship. I believe that's when we are in fellowship with each other in these close relationships, the way that God designed us to be, in a refuge of grace, I believe it's then that we will discover who God actually created us to be and what he created us to do. You see, I think that a part of these awe and wonders and miraculous signs and people were just amazed at what happened. I think it's here in this type of community that people began to to grasp a hold of what their purpose in life actually was because what's taking place here is just not humanly natural it says that all the believers were together and had everything in common that's that's not that that doesn't make a lot of of fleshly sense to us that's not fleshly practical and then it says they sold their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as he had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. If you didn't have human contact, human contact as you are growing... There's a lot of psychology behind that, and I, and I don't want to get into that because I don't know it all and I don't understand all of that. But the experts would tell us that there are so many emotional deficiencies that you will have that then uh, demonstrate themselves even in physical deficiencies because we were made to be in contact with each other. And in Romans 12, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from Christ's body as a whole. So do you catch just that that little spot right there in verse 4? Paul says, you get meaning from togetherness in Christ's body. So that's how we discover our, our meaning together. When we join together in fellowship. And your meaning, your purpose, or your calling in life that God wants for your specific assignments that he's given to you, you discover that when we are together in Christ's body, in community, or in fellowship together. He goes on to say, it's not the other way around. We don't get to dictate to the body of Christ. 
The body of Christ helps us discover who God created us to be. So we have to be careful here. And then he says at the end of this in verse 5, Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? That's from the message translation. And I just liked how that's translated there in the message. Because I think it gives us a better understanding of why God would create us together to be in fellowship with each other. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, Paul again says, Now God had reconciled us to himself through Christ, and watch this, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Well, how is it that we are reconciled? How is it that we get to that place? It's when we, as the body of Christ, join together in fellowship, and then we are operating as agents of His grace to bring reconciliation to those who aren't a part of the body of Christ. Listen, the body of Christ, the church, it's intentional. It's it's all one. We are part of that body And we need each other to be in this body together so that we can, in fellowship with one another, stand together in worship, devoting ourselves to the the teachings of the Scripture, breaking of bread and prayer together. We need each other. God wired us that way. And I wish that I had time to tell you story after story after story from normal people, people just like us, that I have heard of how they joined together with a group of, of believers in Jesus Christ, and then their life began to grow in amazing ways. They stepped out in faith, they walked past the fleshly understanding and walked into fellowship with other believers, and then their lives were completely changed only because they submitted themselves to being in fellowship with each other. I want you to catch that this morning because it is so vital and I think one of the big, big ways that the enemy actually wants to attack us. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, again, Paul here in this, in this amazing book says, God's kingdom isn't about eating and drinking. It's about pleasing God, living in peace, and experiencing true happiness. All of this comes from the Holy Spirit. So then let's go back and think about how did this happen. So if this all comes from the Holy Spirit, well, what was this equation that God actually gave us? Wait for the Holy Spirit and then spend time in fellowship with each other. Wait for the Holy Spirit and then devote yourselves to the teaching of the Word and fellowship with each other, breaking bread together and in praying. They did not automatically jump to selling off their goods and giving to people that were in need. They didn't automatically jump to where they automatically had everything in common with each other. They did not jump to the praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They didn't jump to the awe and the wonder and the miraculous signs. Those things came after the promise of the Holy Spirit had arrived and that was fulfilled in their lives. Then these came actually come. And so as we are working together, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So where does fellowship come from? Listen, it comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't try to form bonds together. 
Because the bonds that we would unite together without the Holy Spirit are short-lasting bonds. But when we form bonds of fellowship together with the Holy Spirit, then those are bonds that last for all of eternity. Ephesians 4.16, Paul says, Christ's body is fitted together perfectly, bonded together perfectly. That's who we are. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Fellowship, that's fellowship. That's the fellowship that God desires for each of us to have. It's for us. You remember the scripture? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you. Well, what is God's kingdom? What is God's kingdom? In, in Romans 14, 17, God's kingdom isn't about eating and drinking. Did you, did you catch that as we read that? God's kingdom is about being united in fellowship together in the Holy Spirit. We can't miss the purpose of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is what's united us together in fellowship with each other. So we need each other in fellowship. We must have each other in fellowship. So in a refuge of grace, I believe that we have to learn to live out Acts chapter 2. I think that what God is going to do here, and we've got to figure this out together, and you'll hear a lot about this in the weeks ahead, we've got to figure out how to be in fellowship with each other. We've got to figure out ways outside of this hour on Sunday morning to spend time together in fellowship with each other. Here, the Holy Spirit came, and immediately they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread and to prayer together. We've got to figure this out so that we are spending time in fellowship with each other. Because again, we need each other. I need you, you need me, you need other people that are actually sitting around us. God wants us to actually be together. Last scripture that I wanna leave you with here is from Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine through 12. A little bit long, but I hope that you get this. Two people are always better than one because by working together, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But it is bad for the person who is alone and falls because no one is there to help. If two lie down together, they can share the same blanket and stay warm. But a person alone will not be warm. An enemy might defeat one person, but two people can defend themselves. And a rope that is woven of three braids is hard to break. We have to have each other. God designed us that way. He wants us to be that way. He wants us to live that way. And this is how he wants the church to be united together in fellowship. So how is it that we live out Acts chapter two in a refuge of grace? I want to give you three things. And this is what I want to ask you to wrestle with this week and to sit with the Lord. One, what was the beginning of that equation? They waited for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available for us. It's here. We're living in that promise and the fulfillment of that promise. So we have to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Why would we ever go home whenever it's hot here in Florida and never turn on the air conditioning when we have an air conditioner that's willing to operate and to cool down our house? If there is power available to cool down the house, then turn on the air conditioner. So why would we operate without the power of the Holy Spirit and try to make fellowship without the power of the Holy Spirit? 
Whenever it gets hot at home, you go turn down the air conditioner to cool things off. Thank God we're living under the age of the air conditioner. Well, thank God we're living under the age of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have true fellowship together. The second thing that I think the way that we live out Acts chapter 2 in a refuge of grace is we, ask, we have to ask the Lord where our heart isn't aligned with his heart. Do you know what breaks fellowship? Do you know what breaks our fellowship together? It's whenever we have our selfish desires that we are pursuing instead of the desires of the Lord. It happens time and time and time and time and time again. You see it not only in businesses, you see it in football teams, and you see it in churches. When selfishness overtakes the idea of fellowship together. So with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have our heart properly aligned with his heart. And so one of the ways that I think that we have to live out Acts chapter 2 in a refuge of grace is we have to be diligent about asking the Lord where our heart is not aligned with his heart. And you know what? This is hard work. It's not natural work. But we have to sit with the Lord and we have to ask, God, where is my heart not aligned with yours? That would cause me to be out of fellowship with my brothers and sisters that are part of your, of your body. Ask the Lord for the power of the Holy Spirit. He will give it. And you know what? Uh, this, I hadn't thought about this till just now, but do you know what the disciples did? They waited for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They didn't get ahead of the Holy Spirit. They were waiting, anticipating. Well, we have to do the same. We can't get ahead of the Holy Spirit. We have to wait for the power, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then we have to ask the Lord where our heart isn't aligned to his heart. And then the last thing, this is the last thing, and I don't want you to miss this one. You have to commit to a fellowship of Christ followers. I don't mean just attend. I mean commit. Go all in, 100%. So that when the other believers are hurting, we are hurting. When other believers are in need, we are in need. And that's why we ask for different things uh, as a part of this ministry. Maybe like our thrift store, some th needs or different things in the school or others that are part of the church. Because we want to be united together in fellowship. That's what it means to be committed to a fellowship of Christ's followers. Because God wants us to be together. And I believe, I wholeheartedly believe, if we do all of these three things, and we listen to the Lord, and we work at these things, then I believe that we will actually see what happened here in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I've heard the stories. I've read newspaper, newspaper articles. And I've looked at material published by this church of the awe, of the miraculous signs, and the healings, and the people that were standing in line waiting to get into the Berkowitz Chapel. Waiting. Because there was a group of people united in fellowship with each other. 
God didn't want that to just be our past story. And, and it, some of that even happened right in here in this room. God doesn't want that to be our past. God didn't stop working miracles. He hasn't stopped giving us awe and wonder and miraculous signs. He wants that to be in our today. That's a part of the past of this church. And I believe when we commit to being in fellowship with a group of Christ followers together, I believe that that's going to be a part of our today and a part of our tomorrow. But I think, I think, I think the Lord wants us to live out Acts chapter 2. And he's waiting for us to step up and say, you know what? I'm willing to commit. I am willing to spend time in fellowship, even though it might hurt and even though it might feel uncomfortable and even though I have to give up some stuff, I'm willing to do it. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.